0: 2023 is here. 2022 is a year to forget. So I thought we should talk about our projections for investing in stocks, bonds, commodities, real estate, and yes, even crypto with the one and only Taylor from Lifegold Investments. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. This is exciting. It's, it's, it's fun to put this out right at the beginning of the year and then
1: circle back a year later and go, how did we do? Where did we hit? Where did we miss? Hold us yeah. to this. And yeah. let's let's take a look at things.
0: Yeah, YouTube does provide us the ability to create receipts that we can go back to and pat ourselves on the back, or go, "Whoops, we missed that one."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I I always encourage everybody that follows us, like, "Hey, look at what we said. Hold us to it. Yeah. You know, it's not." And, and the other thing that happens with it, with these projections is they don't happen in a vacuum. So we put out projections, and it's not like, "Okay, we're done. That's what we our investments are set. Boom, stay. Yeah. You know, put <laughs> One time in thinking, then go to the park. <laughs> right, go to the park. Exactly right. It's it's day to day. I mean, you're on here everyday, and we're doing the same thing with our economic outlooks and projections, changing them on a daily basis when we get new data.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, I don't know which one you want to start with, but again, these were the projections you put on Instagram. I follow you on Instagram, Life Goal Investments. Do that. Uh, where do you want to start? Which one? Yeah, let's start. Let's start at the top. Let's start stocks. Okay. All right. So, what are your projections for stocks? Are we talking S and P, Dow, Nasdaq? What do we call it?
1: Yeah, just for, from a broad standpoint, we talk about the S and P. I think that's most okay. heavily tracked and heavily followed, you know, on social media and, and you know the public at large. So our thoughts on the S and P five hundred is that it probably sees a below average return this year. And, and average, be
0: uh, average for folks is
1: average over the long term is ten percent, right? About so ten percent for the long something term, something
0: below that. Okay.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we're thinking kind of that mid single digit type range, that five to 7% somewhere in that ballpark. And again, this is just projection. It'll change throughout the year. But nonetheless, that's that's kind of what we're thinking. And, and really what we're having to deal with on the front end of the year is is a tougher sled. So it's, yeah. it's going to be a slog on the front end of the year. We're dealing with a couple things. We're dealing with the Fed that is continuing to raise rates. They are dead set against letting inflation take over. They're dead set against letting unemployment stay where it is. We think they're you know vehemently trying to increase that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't recreate a 1970s type environment, which we don't foresee happening. But nonetheless, that is because the Fed is there and very vocally saying we're going to continue to take rates higher. And so with that, what you have is a continued challenge and squeeze on earnings from a company's perspective. And that isn't something that's going to dissipate right away. So we think that the market's forward looking. So, the market is starting to realize that now, and you're starting to see the expectations for earnings to come down. Finally, you and I have been arguing with Wall Street analysts for now, you know, six months going, guys, what do you have blinders on? What the heck is going on? Yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so we think it's a it, it's, it's a tough start to the year, a downwards kind of choppy type market, much that we've seen throughout 2022, honestly. And then we think that the market starts to realize that the Fed is going to stop raising rates. They've got inflation under control. We think inflation is already under control. and We think that a lot of data shows that um, I know that we disagree a little bit on some of that stuff, you and I. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. that's our take. And so when the market does finally get the realization that the Fed is going to stop raising rates, then you'll start to get a little bit of a tailwind from from that realization. Um, Company earnings may start to adjust back upwards, and the expectations for earnings, more importantly, start to adjust back upwards. It's all about rate of change, right? So the rate of change right now is still in that slowing phase. And the market again is forward-looking, but we think that slowing phase continues. And again, as the Fed starts to hit the brakes or or stop hitting the brakes, I guess I should say, you're going to get that reversal, and it becomes a tailwind as opposed to a headwind.
0: Yeah, I think that's you know that's again, I'm not really claimed to be a stock investor. I'm putting about 50k into dividend stocks this year. I do expect the first half and more specifically first quarter to be painful. I do think the year. You know, if you look at the S&P on December 31st of 2023, it'll be higher than it is today.
1: Yeah. Not, and and not, most, yeah. I mean, let, let, let's face facts. You know, history is, a, you know, Mark Twain's got a great line. History doesn't repeat itself, but it runs. Yeah. Right. And and And, you know, statisticians have broken down markets in every way you possibly could. But historically, after a bad year, you do get a good year. So I'm actually yeah. saying. Very bad,
0: very fact. rare to have two bad years in a row.
1: Yep. Yeah. Two negative years in a row is really, really rare. I should know the stat on that, but it's very rare. We'll just leave it at that. Um, so I'm actually bucking the trend a little bit here and saying that we're going to have a below average year this year. If history was an indicator there, it actually would be the, the fact that we would have an above, a, above average return this year. But I think it's, uh, you know, because of the macroeconomic landscape that we sit in right now, I think that to your point, first quarter and even second quarter continues to be tough. And then we start to get that reversal later on in the year and starting to see that, that segue forward.
0: All right. Well, what about bonds? They had a uh, nasty year. Record setting bad year last year. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess a little bit better.
1: (laughs) Worst Worst year year ever. ever. Worst year ever. So I I say that three times in a row because worst year ever is a four time multiple of their worst year ever. More than a four time multiple of their worst year ever. So the bond aggregate, which is the S&P 500. So it's called the Bloomberg Barclays aggregate. You know, no one knows what that is, but essentially that's the S and P 500 for bonds. You can look at data going back to 1976 with that aggregate. That was when it was built. And back to 1976, there's only four negative years. The worst negative year of all time was down 2.92% in 1994. And yet last year we were down 13%, 13%. So brutal. Now, granted, that was still better than stocks, right? So you still were better off having a higher percentage in bonds than you were in stocks. The S&P was down 19 or 18%. Yeah. So you still were 5% better than stocks. But at the end of the day, that wasn't what people were expecting out yeah. of their bond portfolio, which is supposed to be the anchor, the, you know that, that bellwether that holds everything together. And so you have a couple things going for you now when it comes to bonds. Historically, the best years for bonds are coming off of peak inflation. Yeah. So that is the best time to be invested in the bond market. And we think that's likely playing out right now as we think that, uh, you know, you've seen a, a peak of inflation, you know, midway through last year. So that's one thing. The other thing when it comes to bonds is bonds are a total return game like stocks are. Stocks are dividend and price. Bonds are coupon and price. And so you've gotten this massive hit last year on the price of bonds, mm-hmm. down 13%, again, a four-time multiple of their worst year ever. But what you did get along the way was the Fed kept raising rates, right. which kept clipping bond coupons higher and higher throughout the year. So now even if you're looking at a treasury, you're looking at something in the ballpark of a three, seven, three, eight 10-year treasury. So you're getting a 3.8% coupon, whereas last year you are getting a 1% coupon at the beginning of the year. So right. that is a huge cushion right in the onset before you talk about anything when it comes to volatility and price up or down, which we do think the price volatility will be up, which is a good thing. But you have that baked in insurance cushion that you didn't have last year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would tell you is regression to the mean is a real thing. Again, if this was a 4X multiple, the chances of it being that bad again are exceedingly rare. Right. Uh, yeah. So regression to the mean. So that, that brings me to commodities.
1: Let, let me, let oh. me, let me make one more point on that and then we'll go to commodities. Sure. That's fine. Um, but one more point on that, the, the, the downside to bonds this year, the, okay. Hey, there is a chink in the armor to bonds this sure. year is the fact that the fed is still letting a massive amount of bonds roll off their balance. Roll off, yeah. So that is the, Hey, yeah, but Kind of comment so the the positives are again the huge cushion that you have from higher higher coupons you're coming off of a terrible year and we we likely think that the fed is going to stop raising rates which is a good thing and the market's forecasting two more Mm -hmm. rate hikes in there and so with that that's what's baked into the cake if the fed has to go further that'll be bad but again we have this scenario playing out where you continue to have this massive roll off of bonds from the balance sheet and that's something that we haven't dealt with Coupled with an inflationary environment, we've never dealt with those two things simultaneously. So we don't know exactly how that plays out. That's that big unknown variable that I think people have to be aware of. You can't just say, I'm all in on bonds. Because a lot of the other macroeconomic data that we're looking at says you could be all in on bonds and be okay. That's that one kind of red herring, that's not the right term, red flag that is that potential negative um, for
0: bonds. Very, very cool. Well, let's take us to commodities. Commodities have done a lot of very interesting things the last year.
1: Yeah. Commodities had a massive, massive rally at the beginning of 2022. A lot of that was playing out because of that war in Russia that was, you know, the Russian-Ukraine war causing food prices to spike, oil prices to spike, et cetera. Um, This year we expect a reversal in commodity prices. Hmm. So we expect commodity prices to sell off with the exception of precious metals. We do think that it's going to be a good year for gold. Um, specifically. And so um, again, you know, when you think about commodities at large, they're just largely economically dependent. And Mm -hmm. so we expect a mild recession to play out in 2023. And so with that, what you get is a constrained demand for commodities, whether it be oil, whatever it might be. But again, as you think about the economic backdrop and oil specifically, because it's an easy one to point to, if we're not trucking as many goods around the nation, moving things around oil prices have to come in. And they were on an absolute moonshot last year. It was basically the only thing that worked from an asset allocation standpoint was energy and oil. And they were huge, huge, huge winners. We talked about this last week, but oil earnings are expected to be for the total year of 2022 up 151%. 151. And for context, the broad S&P 500 earnings are expected to be positive about 5.1%. If you back out oil, they're at negative 1.8%. Damn. So oh, that's how big of a move that, 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 and how powerful that energy move was um, for the stock market as a whole.
0: Yeah. I don't claim to be a commodities expert, but I do watch oil because, again, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is the world going into a recession. And right. oil is that commodity. Oil? Like, you want to know what's going on in China? I don't trust any of the metrics that they right. produce, right. but I can yeah. watch the price of oil, right? right. Because again, it's traded on the international stage. So, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting, right? Does does uh, you know their does the China economy boom? You know, boom back services. Everybody's flying everywhere. Does it go backwards? I just watch the price of oil because I don't right. trust their stats. So, I mean, what's fun.
1: what's interesting about that is is when you look at the individual individual stock level and sector level as a whole, what you have is oil prices have come down meaningfully from their peak meaningfully, like $40 a barrel somewhere in that ballpark from 125. You might be able to correct me here, but 125. Yeah, 123,
0: 124, something like that down to 80, 82, something like that. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. So there's your, your 40, $45 a barrel, but you haven't seen any sell-off in the energy prices and in, in the energy no. stocks, you know, like correct. Exxon Mobil, Chevron, mm-hmm. et cetera, are basically trading at their all-time highs right now. And so it's interesting to see. And what you have there is their profit margins have bloated um, through this. So there is some, I I know there's that democratic and again, not political here, but there's this democratic voice that's saying, Hey, companies are taking advantage of this. When you look at energy companies, they really are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Math doesn't lie. Uh, Yeah. The numbers are the numbers,
1: right. You know, oil is down, you know, 40%, whatever it is. And and these things are trading at all time highs. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what, we're going to, we're going to close on real estate. So we'll skip to crypto. Uh, it's funny. I saw an article this morning where somebody was summarizing crypto call. And when they say crypto, they say Bitcoin. One person was calling Bitcoin to go up 1400%. Somebody else was saying it's going to fall 70%. Uh, where does life goal investments come out in the crypto slash Bitcoin world?
1: Again, this is why there, is, there are so many jobs available on Wall Street, because you can say this and you can say this. You can be vehemently wrong on both sides. But if you make a call, you're good. You're out there, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the now, more wild the car, the more headlines you get, brings you in more attention.
1: Kathy Wood, right? There Kathy, you Wood. Go. Kathy, oh, Kathy Wood, Kathy Wood, Kathy <laughs> Wood. <laughs> My bingo card is marketing. now full. We
0: said Kathy Wood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we expect a, a continued sell off in crypto. Um, the contagion that's taken over, I, I'm actually surprised, shocked, uh, candidly, at how well crypto has held up just recently after this FTX meltdown took place. You know, the FTX meltdown took place, you had prices come screaming down, and then they popped a little bit. And then they've been just staggering along yeah. here in that kind of, you know, Bitcoin at that 16,000, you know, in change m- number. I've been shocked at how well they've held up, especially as you continue to get more and more rumors about other crypto exchanges, et cetera, having continued to struggle because of their interconnectedness with FTX has, um, it, you know, the contagion has not taken on as much effect as I thought that it would. And I think that it is going to play out. I think it's just taking some time to, to work yeah. its way through the system.
0: Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to come back and watch where it is. It's uh, like you, I think there's more uh, relationships to be unwound, right? I don't think it goes to zero, uh, but yeah, there's still a lot of uh, interconnectivity in in that. Yeah, space. I think
1: what's going to play out there, and and you you tell me your take on this as well. But I think what you're going to get continue to see play out at a at a slower pace is a 2008 banking type situation. Yeah. Where, where you have all of these banks interconnected based on the instruments that they've sold and, and bought from each other back and forth, but the difference is these things aren't open books like banks were. It was very readily available for people to peel through data and say, I can yep. see your exposure, Goldman Sachs, to Lehman Brothers, to Bear Stearns, to whatever it is. It's just not a clean book, and you can't get into the details as easily as you can a publicly traded stock.
0: Yeah, the other thing I'll say that's very similar to this is there would be a lot like again, Washington Mutual doesn't exist, right? It was a countrywide doesn't exist, so there's a lot more pain, a lot more doesn't exist coming. But coming out of this, there'll be three, four, I don't know what do we want to call it, stronger players, yep. and I don't think it goes to zero. I think I think the space is less crowded. The alt altcoin and fraud and grift and all this other nonsense goes away. Hopefully, regulation comes and crypto goes on. You know, and
1: hopefully, hopefully, you can't have like this. Never made sense to me, and and we don't have to continue on this. But it didn't didn't make sense to me how people can just launch a new token and people no, buy was, it at yeah. face value. And it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. What do you mean you just created a token out of thin air to fund a project, and people are now buying it from you for there's no intrinsic value behind it. There's nothing backing it. So no, anyway, it that's yeah. I'll get that's off my the griff. On that.
0: That's the grip. That's the grip. Well, now let's close on real estate. I'd love to hear what goal Investments thinks about real estate. I'm gonna guess. Residential real estate's where you're focused, but don't know,
1: so we'll we'll talk about both real quick. So okay, cool. we talk about publicly traded REITs, um, oh, okay. real estate exactly. investment trust, and yeah. then we can talk about residential as well. Oh, so REITs cool. yeah, yeah. So REITs in general, we think have a, a good year this year, um, a, a much much above average year. And when you look back over time, REITs generally don't perform well when inflation hits. But they have the ability to pass through. And, and when we talk about REITs, think about like a large apartment complex. So when inflation hits, you know they experience increased costs, but they can't bleed that through in their rents right away. Yeah. But as rents roll, you start yeah. the ability to be able to increase their rents over time. And so we think that that is what we're going to see playing out here this year you know, you had REITs down 25, 30% this year in the publicly traded market, which was just as bad. If not, you know, well, it's not just as bad. It's worse than the S and P 500 did by five to 10% across Mm -hmm. the board. And that's something that we don't see making a ton of sense because the underlying properties are actually more valuable than they were at the beginning of the year, significantly more valuable than they were two years ago. But yet at the same time, you have this massive hit on their price. And a lot of that is that inflation induced kind of, uh, thing that played out last year. But again, as we get through this year, they took a massive hit last year. We think there's a pendulum swing back in the other direction. And you actually get a significantly better than you know average return in REITs coming up here in 2023.
0: Yeah. The only the only caveat to all of that that I would probably caution people uh, or I guess where the most pain and and more importantly more pain is coming in my opinion is office REITs. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, what I'm reading about San Francisco, I think it's got like 30, I think I read an article where offices in San Francisco in the month of December were 37% occupied. That's Yeah, absurd. that's that's not good. Yep. That's and and good. so this,
1: this goes to your point that you make over and over and over again is you have to look for good operators. So you have to look for people that have bought the right stuff. And these REITs, they don't, the difference is, is like when you buy, when these REITs buy up a property, Instead of you know just being able to flip the switch and turn it over, like that's not how this works. So this mm-hmm. is something they ha- they would have had to see coming or it had to be part of their strategy before that they have to be out of that office space. But I think if you look at industrial type REITs, you oh, know, yeah. whether it's warehousing, etc., you know, Amazon's not going away, although they're down 50% in 2022 was, was their stock return, which was brutal. Wild. But nonetheless, yeah. we don't think Amazon's going away. It's not that people are getting less things delivered to their house, it was operating things that caused that. And Fed funds rate, um, but nonetheless. So you know your industrial type thing, your residential type. Um, you know, there's there's still a, a massive lack of houses around the United States, and so we think there continues to be demand in both of those, and we think they have continued pricing pressure, pricing yeah. power rather, pricing power.
0: Yeah, I I love this. Uh, actually, we got to go, uh, Taylor. Where can people find you? Yeah, find us at
1: Life Goal Investments on Instagram is the best place to follow us.
0: Awesome, and, and this post was on his social media feed probably two weeks ago. Take a look at it. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much.
1: You're the man, Michael. Thanks for the time as always. You got it.